Amen. You know, oftentimes as Christians, when we go through a very dark season of our lives, we can think, Lord, do you see me? Do you hear me? Are your promises still true for me? Are you still working in my life? Or have you forgotten about me? Are your promises not true for me? And we can naturally have those kinds of thoughts and we begin to doubt and and we become weak in our faith. And those things can happen to us. Well, as we look at our text here tonight, as we begin chapter 23, you recall that last week that we ended that the house of Judah is going through a very, very dark time right now in their history. The godly king of Jehoiada, he had uh, spread the word of the Lord throughout Judah and the cities, and he was loyal to the Lord, and he delighted in the ways of the Lord. And you recall that the Lord blessed Judah and Jehoiada, but Jehoiada, he did an unwise thing, and that was he aligned himself with the house of Israel through marriage. In other words, he has a son, and his son's name is Jehoram, and his son would end up marrying, uh, marrying uh, the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel. And of course, in our previous studies, we talked about how Ahab and Jezebel were rebellious against God. They were very uh, wicked and Baal worshipers, and they were bad news. And so Jehoshaphat, in his desire to unite the house of Israel and the house of Judah, that he makes this ungodly alliance through marriage. And after the death of Jehoshaphat, we see that his son Jehoram becomes the king. And as we saw last week, he was an evil king that continued not in the ways of his father, Jehoshaphat, but he continued in the ways of his in-laws. That is Ahab and Jezebel and the house of Israel in idol worship. He was a very violent man, just as Ahab and Jezebel were violent. They had killed some of the sons of the prophets. They tried to kill Elijah. And here is Jehoram. He kills a lot of his brothers, and um, he, he puts them to death. And we know that Elijah sent a letter to Jehoram and told him that the judgment was, of God was going to come on him. And he ends up dying of great pain and, and a, of a disease. So he ends up dying. His son takes the throne, Ahaziah. And Ahaziah, he is the son of Jehoram and his wife, Ataliah. Ataliah, again, to remind you, uh, is the uh, daughter of Ahab and Jezebel. And she was also one that continued in the ways of her parents. So Ahaziah, he's reigning in Judah. He has a short reign. And what happens is, and you get the full story of it, when you look at this similar account in Second Kings. And what happened was, is that the king of Israel ends up being killed by Jehu. Jehu was used of God to bring judgment on the house of Ahab. But Ahaziah, because he went up to see his uncle, he ends up being killed as well. So the king of Israel, he's killed. The king of Judah, he is killed. And Athaliah, she assumes the throne. And she's on the throne for six years. And what she tries to do is tries to eliminate the line of David, the descendants of David. And you remember that as we saw in our study of 2 Samuel chapter 7 and also 1 Chronicle records it, that it was David that was given that covenant of the Lord. That the Lord said, David, you're not going to build me a temple because you're a man of war. Your son Solomon's going to build a temple, but I am going to establish your throne. Your throne's going to be established forever, and from your line, David, 
And on your throne is going to sit the Messiah. So the promise and the covenant given to David, that David, that your throne will be established, and then from you will come the Messiah. Here is Athaliah, this, this individual who is rebelling against God, continued in the ways of Ahab and Jezebel, trying to do away with God's promise, trying to eliminate the line of David. And it looks really dark at this time right now. It looks really hopeless, but God has a plan. And as we saw that at the end of chapter 22, that there was Jehoiada. He's married to uh, his wife, Jael Shabith or Jael Sheba uh, in 2 Kings. And what they do is they take their nephew and they hide him in the temple, Joash. He's from the line of David, and they take him away where Ataliah can't get to him. She doesn't know about him, and they hide him away in the temple. And God has a plan, and we're going to see that that plan is going to unfold. God is still working. His promise is going to still be fulfilled. And I want you to know something tonight, that if you're going through a season of dark times, if you're going through difficulties, where you're wondering, does the Lord see? Is His promise still true? Is He going to be faithful to His word? I pray that tonight would be an encouragement to you because God does see you and His word is still true and He's going to be faithful to His word and He has a plan for you and light is going to come into the dark times that you are in just as light is going to come to the house of Judah at this time. So let's begin to read as we see that Joash is going to restore the the line of David to the throne of Judah. And we read in chapter 23 and verse 1, In the seventh year, Jehoiada strengthened himself and made a covenant with the captains of hundreds and Azariah and these guys that are all listed there uh, in verse 1. And they went throughout Judah and gathered the Levites, verse 2, and all the cities of Judah and the chief fathers of Israel, and they came to Jerusalem. Then all the assembly made a covenant with the king in the house of God. And he said to them, Behold, the king's son shall reign, as the Lord has said of the sons of David. This is what you shall do. One third of you entering on the Sabbath of the priests and the Levites shall keep, uh, be keeping watch over the doors. Verse 5, one third shall be at the king's house and one third at the gate of the foundation. And all the people shall be in the courts of the house of the Lord. But let no one come into the house of the Lord except the priests and those of the Levites who serve. They may go in for they are holy and but all the people shall keep the watch of the Lord. Verse 7, And the Levites shall surround the king on all sides, every man with his weapons in his hand. And whoever comes into the house, let him be put to death. You are to be with the king when he comes in and when he goes out. So the Levites and all Judah did according to all that Jehoiada the priest commanded. And each man took his men who were to be on duty on the Sabbath with those who were going off duty on the Sabbath, For Jehoiada the priest had not dismissed the divisions. And Jehoiada the priest gave to the captains and hundreds the spears and the large and small shields which had belonged to King David to wear in the temple of God. Um, And then verse 10. And then he said, All the people, every man with his weapon in his hand, from the right side of the temple to the left side of the temple, along by the altar and by the temple all around the king. So Jehoiada, the priest, comes up with a plan. He's going to restore Joash to the throne of Judah. 
And Jehoiada was a godly man who was concerned about not just restoring Joash to the throne of Judah, uh, this young boy, he's only seven years old at this time, but restoring the line of David. There are many Athaliahs that are out there in the world today, aren't there? Trying to stop the work of God. Just as Athaliah was trying to do that right now at this time, and of course it was demonically influenced because you see God had made a promise that through the line of David is going to come Messiah, and you know Satan, he's stirring things up because he doesn't want the Messiah to come to crush his head as was said to him in Genesis chapter 3. And we need to understand that when we see things going on in the world today, the attacks against the Christians and, and against God's plan, wherever God is working, the enemy is going to be working as well. And we've seen that pattern in the book of Acts. You recall that particularly in the early uh, studies of the book of Acts in the early days of the church, the church is growing and it's multiplying and exploding. But then we see that persecution comes to the Christians and that, perse- that persecution would continue. We've seen that all throughout the book of Acts. And in your own life, when you are growing in the Lord and you are being used of the Lord, know this, that Satan is going to try to oppose that work. And he's going to do anything that he can to get a foothold into your life to try to discourage you, to keep you from growing, to keep you from being a man and woman of prayer, of the word, of serving the Lord. He will come against this church. And that's why it's real important that we be praying, that we realize that there's a spiritual battle that is out there and that the enemy wants to come against us. He sees you as a threat. You see, he doesn't say, you know, oh, you know, that person... They're growing in the Lord. They're excited about learning the Word of God. They're going out for Bible study on Wednesday nights. And he will try to discourage you in any way from coming. He will try to discourage you in being that godly mom or dad to your children. Or being a man or woman of godly integrity and character at the workplace. He's going to try to discourage you in any way and deceive you and come against you. And realize it's because you are being a threat to the kingdom of darkness. So whenever God is working in our lives and working in this church as he is, know that the enemy is going to try to come against us. So we want to put on the whole armor of God as we are told in the book of Ephesians chapter 6. We want to be praying for one another. I ask that you pray for this church because it's a spiritual battle that is out there. So there's a lot of Athaliahs out there that that will try to stop the world, the work of God, because Jesus said, the world will hate you because of me. The world hated me first. And know this, that a servant isn't above his master. I think that sometimes Christians need to understand something, that the world will not applaud us when we become Christians, that the world is going to come against us. So here is this this, uh, plan by Athaliah to try to stop the work of God, but God is going to be faithful to his word. When Joash is seven years old, Jehoiada gathers the Levites, as we read, the leaders, and says, I've got good news for you, but I'm going to make a covenant with you. And when he presented young Joash here, this young boy, they must have been amazed to see him. It's been a secret for six years, going on seven years now. And it's time now to restore back the line of David to the throne of Judah. And now we need to protect Joash. And then 
as we protect him, the way that we're going to do that is Jehoiada comes up with a plan. He chose the Sabbath day because that was the day that the guards changed their shifts and they would assemble two groups of guards with the weapons of David and anyone that comes into the house of the Lord shall be put to death. In other words, anybody that comes close to Joash, this is like his secret service, all right? These guys are guarding him. You surround him and you guard him. So that's the plan that Jehoiada comes up with to protect this young boy. In verse 11, And they brought out the king's son, put the crown on him, gave him the testimony, and made him king. Then Jehoiada and his sons anointed him and said, Long live the king. So they presented Joash as the king. They put a crown on him. He was given the testimony. In other words, he was given the word of God. We know from Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 18, that uh, the Lord said, when you go into the land and you ask for a king, there are certain things that I have for the king, certain things that he's not to do and certain things that he is to do. And one of the things that he was to do is that he was to receive a copy of the law. And not only was he to receive a copy of the law, but it also said in the book of Deuteronomy that he was to write it down. I think that there's a reason for that. At least I, I have a, a, a theory on why that they were to write the word of God down. Because for me in my life, when I write something down, I remember it a lot easier. Matter of fact, I'm probably one of the only few pastors that handwrites my notes. And the reasons that I do, I'll handwrite the verses that I'm going to go over. And I do that because it helps me to remember it. When I handwrite my notes, it helps me to remember. That's me personally. And, and you know, sometimes, you know, uh, the guys, when I get together with some of the other pastors, uh, they'll talk about all the neat programs, and, you know, and they have their iPads, and, and that's all great and wonderful. But I still like to write it out by hand. And I felt a little bit better a couple of weeks ago when I heard Greg Laurie on Grace FM that he was saying that he still all handwrites his notes. So I felt good about that, and, and that was good. But they were to do that, and I believe that they did do that because it would help them to remember. And a lot of times we type emails and things like that today, and we don't do a whole lot of handwriting. But when you get into that, <coughs> excuse me, you know that um, it helps us to remember things. Excuse me, a little throat thing going on. So, so here they were given a copy of the law, and they were to write it down as well, as Deuteronomy chapter 17 says. We continue reading in verse 12, And then when Athaliah heard the noise of the people running and praising the king, she came to the people in the temple of the Lord. And when she looked, there was the king standing by his pillar at the entrance, and the leaders and the trumpeters were by the king, and all the people of the land were rejoicing and blowing trumpets, and also the singers with musical instruments, and those who led in praise. So Athaliah tore her clothes and said, Treason and treason. Uh, they presented Joash as king. Athaliah sees that Joash uh, has been established. He's received as king, and the people are rejoicing. You can get a sense very clearly here that the people were weary of her rule. And you see sin and evil and darkness, and the enemy will wear on you. It will wear on you. And it wore on the people. And here was rejoicing going on because we see that 
the rightful king is being established. Notice here in verse 13 that he was standing by the pillar of the entrance. You remember that when we were talking about it in chapter 3, verse 17, when Solomon was building the temple, that there at the entrance with the pillars, matter of fact, there was two of them. One was named Jacob, the other one was named Boaz. Jacob and Boaz, these two bronze uh, pillars that were magnificent to look at, and they bring out this little boy, and they establish him, crown him as king. But here's the thing. You and I, that we will be established and we will be strengthened as we just surrender to the Lord, as we yield to him and trust in him. Jacob, one of those pillars named, means he shall establish. Boaz means in him is strength. And if you want to have real strength, and you want to be established, that is firm in the things of the Lord, then be surrendered to him. And that's the only way that we can be established and strengthened, is when we come to him and say, Lord, that my life is not my own, that I yield to you in everything, in every area of my life. I just want to know you and follow you and delight to walk in your ways. And so here she's yelling, treason, treason. And, and you read this and you think, really? The one who, who killed all the descendants of David so she can take the throne? But it's amazing how evil and sin, not only is it going to wear on those who are linked to you in your life if you're involved in that, are on different individuals, and certainly over a ruler of a nation, it would affect all the people. But it's amazing how evil and sin will cloud a person's perspective. Do you realize that one of the tactics of the enemy is to get you involved in worldly pleasures or sin and compromise to keep you in the dark? So you don't get it, you don't understand. And oftentimes, perhaps you've experienced this, that you've talked to somebody and you see that they're involved in sin or compromise, and you talk to them and they're, they're like they're blinded. They don't understand. What do you mean? And their, you know, um, their perspective is all wrong. And, and you're wanting to say to them, why don't you wake up and smell the coffee? Don't you understand what you're doing is wrong? You see, what the enemy wants to do is to keep people in the dark. He brings a blindness. And that's what sin does. It will blind you. It will bring you into captivity. It will wear on you. And it will wear on others. It's just bad news. So here she is yelling, treason, treason. Really? The throne wasn't to be given to you. And you've done evil in trying to kill the descendants of David. So what happens here is we read the rest of the chapter in verse 14, that Jehoiada the priest brought out the captains of hundreds who were set over the army and said to them, Take her outside under the guard and slay with the sword whoever follows her. For the priest had said, Do not kill her in the house of the Lord. So they seized her and she went by way of the entrance of the horse gate to, into the king's house, and they killed her there. So she and her supporters are executed. In verse 16, Then Jehoiada made a covenant between himself, the people, and the king, that they should be the Lord's people. And all the people went to the temple of Baal and tore it down. They broke in pieces its altars and images and killed Matan, the priest of Baal, before the altars. Remember that it was Ataliah, the daughter of Jezebel and Ahab. Ahab and Jezebel were huge Baal worshippers, weren't they, in the house of Israel? And they had built a temple to Baal up in Samaria, the capital of the ten northern tribes. And they built this temple, as she does here 
in, um, in Jerusalem and Baal worship is, has been taken place. So they take out the priests uh, and do uh, execute them. And then we read in verse 18, And Jehoiada appointed the oversight of the house of the Lord to the hand of the priests, the Levites, whom David had assigned in the house of the Lord, to offer the burnt offerings of the Lord, as it is written in the law of Moses, with rejoicing and with singing, as it was established by David. And he set the gatekeepers at the gates of the house of the Lord, so that no one who was in any way unclean should enter. And he took the captains of hundreds, the nobles, the governors of the people, and all the people of the land, and brought the king down from the house of the Lord. And he went through the upper gate of the king's house and set the king on the throne of the kingdom. And as we finish the chapter, so all the people of the land rejoiced, and the city was quiet, for they had slain Athaliah with the sword. So Jehoiada, he restores true worship. He reinstitutes the sacrificial system. He leads the people into a recommitment to the Lord. And after six dark years, the rightful king from the line of David is ruling over the people. You going through a dark season right now in your life? Maybe it's been six days. Maybe six months. Maybe it's been six years. Maybe longer. And I want you to know this, that you keep looking to the Lord and the Lord will be faithful to his word to you and his promises to you. And he will bring light into your situation. Keep trusting in him and resting in his love. God has a plan. He has a plan for you. And he's going to see you through. And you'll be confident that he's going to bring it to pass, his promises and his word to you. And he's going to work in your life. It may be dark and there may be sorrow in the nighttime, but joyeth come in the morning. So here is Joash. He's established in chapter 24. He's seven years old when he became king. And he reigned 40 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Zibiah of Beersheba. And Joash did what was right in the sight of the Lord all the days of Jehoiada the priest. And Jehoiada took two wives for him, and he had sons and daughters. Now it happened after this that Joash set his heart in repairing the house of the Lord. Can you imagine being king when you're seven years old? I mean, what an overwhelming thing for a seven-year-old. And of course, he's being nurtured and raised and taught and counseled by his uncle Jehoiada who hid him for six years in the house of the Lord. It reminds me again, and I know we've talked about this, but I think it's worth repeating, how important it is a priority for us to invest in our children. Mom and dads, invest in your kids, for grandparents, for uncles, for aunts, for us to invest in the kids here. Because you see, not only does God want to get the word of God in them for them to grow. And of course, scripture tells us that we're to raise our children in the ways of the Lord, in the admonition of the Lord. That is a priority for us parents. And we need to be encouraged in that. We need to be growing. And we need to understand that not only do we want to get the word of God into their hearts, but know this, that God has a wonderful plan for them and wants to use them. And as I look at at my kids and as I look at your kids and the kids that are running around here, I think I can't wait to see what God's going to do with them because he has a wonderful plan for them. 
And he wants to begin to, not only do we develop them and, and train them and we mold them, but also we can unfold them. In other words, in their you know, talents, to see their personalities come out. Isn't it fun to watch? And each one of our kids are different, and it's wonderful to see how God made them. And, and here's the thing, at seven years of age, I know this, and you can talk to those who, who you know, are, are you know, parents, or you can talk to Sunday school teachers, or you can talk to those who minister to young people. At seven, eight, nine years old, they're so impressionable, they start to really begin to grasp truths of the Lord, and they begin to ask questions. So parents, we don't ever want to squash that. We don't want to squash that. Listen, I say this not condemningly, but I say this to encourage you. One of the things that we don't want to do as parents is when our kids want to come to church or they want to read the Bible, that we say, I don't have time. And over the years of ministry, I've talked to parents that say, well, our kids want to come, but, you know, Sunday's the only time that we have to sleep in and we don't want to get up and, you know, it's just kind of a hassle. Don't quench that. What God wants to do in their lives what God wants to do in your life. And may we make it a priority and a prayer that, that, Lord, it's a blessing when your kids want to come here. And what I see is the kids love being here. Isn't this place full of life? When we see the youth going out, when we see the kids in the children's ministry, I love to watch them. One of the things here on Wednesday when the kids are here for chess, this place is shoulder to shoulder with kids. They're everywhere. They're dragging in mud, and they're running. You know, they're not running. We don't let them run, but they're just, it's noisy here. And I have my Antonio Fortress up here, you know, up there above the coffee shop. And those of you who've been with us in our study on the Book of Acts, remember we talked about the Antonio Fortress, that fortress there at the Temple Mount that the Romans built. And so the guards would be up there, and they could look down at the courtyards if a riot broke out. And, of course, a riot broke out as they accused Paul of taking Gentiles into the temple. That's my Antonio Fortress. And then at lunchtime, I'll just sit up there and I'll just watch the kids. And I think, I wonder what God's going to do with him. I wonder what God's going to do with her. I can't wait to see how God is going to use them. And God has a wonderful plan for your children. And tell them that. I love the fact that we're able to give truth to our kids. You're not a product of a monkey. Or evolved. But the God of the universe. Who's so incredibly awesome and big and wonderful. Made you. And he loves you. And he wants to save you. He sent his son to die for you. And to bring them not only the message of salvation, but he wants to use you. He has a wonderful plan for you. And they just love that, to hear that truth. And when they're at this age, especially, they are just so excited about the things of the Lord. So may we encourage them in that. What a great place to be, this young boy in the house of the Lord, in the sanctuary of the Lord. 
So I want to encourage you once again, you make your home a sanctuary where the things of the Lord are taught and spoken of and the presence of the Lord is there in your home and the peace of the Lord. And may this sanctuary, this house of the Lord here be a place where also we can come alongside of you and bless you and encourage you as you raise your children, your grandchildren, whoever it might be in the ways of the Lord, in the admonition of the Lord, and learning the love of the Lord. I hope this place is a blessing for your children. I hope that you pray for our children's ministry and our youth and those who minister. I'm so blessed by those who work with our kids. They are so wonderful. And making it a safe environment and making it to where they're learning the things of the Lord and how important it is that we continue to do that. So here is Jehoiada, he, uh, not Jehoiada, but Joash. He wants to repair the temple, and this is an important place for him in his life. So I wonder he wants to fix it up. He wants to invest in the house of the Lord. And again, I pray that we would be ones that we want, want to invest in the house of the Lord. Let's see how they do that in verse 5. Then he gathered the priests and the Levites and said to them, Go out to the cities of Judah and gather from all Israel money to repair the house of your God from year to year and see that you do it quickly. However, the Levites did not do it quickly. So the king called Jehoiada, the chief priest, and said to him, why have you not required the Levites to bring in from Judah and from Jerusalem the collection according to the commandment of Moses, the servant of the Lord, and of the assembly of Israel for the tabernacle of witness? For the sons of Ataliah, the wicked woman, had broken into the house of God and had also presented all the dedicated things at the house of the Lord to the Baals. So the Levites didn't quickly collect the money. It wasn't probably important enough for them. Joash set his heart, and here's the thing. When you set your heart on something, you're going to do it, aren't you? That's why Jesus said, wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. You can look at an individual where their treasure is, and it will be indicative of where their heart is at. That's what Jesus was saying. So the question tonight for all of us is, where is your heart? What's the priority of your heart? Is it the things of the kingdom, investing in the things of God? Or is it in the things of the world? And I hope and pray for all of us that we would say, my heart, my priority, my treasure is in the Lord. And that's where I want to make a priority to invest in the Lord, in the things of God. It gives indication here that Athaliah really made the temple a place of, uh, uh, where it was not just you know, in disrepair, but she broke in. She was tearing down and apart the temple, making it a, a place of Baal worship. So it wasn't just normal wear and tear that they're wanting to fix. It, it was in real need of, uh, of being restored here. And we read in, in verse 8, Then the king's command, they made a chest and set it outside the gate of the house of the Lord. So what they did is they made this box. They put it outside for people to put the collection in. It's the first offering box very similar to what we do here at Calvary Chapel. Oftentimes people that are new to Calvary Chapel, they'll say, how is it that we give to the church? And we have to point out the offering boxes to them. We want you to be able to give freely and willingly. We don't take a collection here. We've never asked for money at Calvary Chapel. And as I've told you before, that where God guides, he provides. And I've always wanted that to be a principle of this ministry that I want you to be able to give freely and willingly and cheerfully as 2 Corinthians chapter 9 tells us that we're to do. 
And so as they set out that box, we see how the people gave just in that way in verse 9, and they made a proclamation and throughout Judah and a collection that Moses, the servant of God, had imposed on Israel in the wilderness. Then all the leaders and all the people rejoiced, brought their contributions, and put them into the chest until all had given. So it was at the time that when the chest was brought to the king's official by the hand of the Levites, and when they saw that there was much money at the king's scribe, and the high priest's officer came and emptied the chest and took it and returned it to its place, and thus they did day by day and gathered money in abundance. So God was providing for them in this offering box that the people were giving. It was important for the people to give. It reminds me a little bit of Exodus chapter 35 when the Lord told Moses, Moses, I want you to start a collection, take an offering for the tabernacle, and the people gave willingly, as it says in Exodus chapter 35. They gave freely, and they gave in abundance to the Lord. Listen, what I hope and pray is that, that we would desire, not just with money, but with our devotion and with our service to him, that we would give to the Lord. And again, we don't talk a whole lot about money here at Calvary Chapel. I think that one of the things that we see in the church today is many ministries really push for money, push for money, and that's a big theme in their ministry. Matter of fact, I was in a church visiting just a couple weeks ago where half the sermon was asking for $9 million to build a bigger facility. And they're really pushing the people and all of that. Now, I'm not going to determine whether that was wrong or right to do, but I do know this that I want to just encourage you to give freely, and that's between you and the Lord, and really where God guides, He provides for us. And I want it to be where God is glorified, and where you are giving of your heart, your resources, to where you want to give, to where you're not manipulated, where you're not pressured, And then we want to be good stewards as we're going to read that they would repair and refurbish the temple here. It was used for the purposes. Here's one of the things. People sometimes will say to me, I love Calvary Chapel because, you know, they don't uh, emphasize a lot of giving like a lot of churches do. Kind of like, you know, I've been going to that church and they don't care if you don't give. Well... Here's the thing. Again, it's between you and the Lord. But let me put this little bug in your ear, just in case anybody kind of has that mindset. We don't need to give to the Lord. We don't need to invest in the kingdom. How can we not give to the Lord when He gave us His Son? When He has given us forgiveness and eternal life, in relationship with him through his son, Jesus Christ. He gave us the very best. How can we say, I'm not going to give to the Lord. I don't care to invest in the kingdom. I'm not just talking about money. But of your time, your devotion, of whatever it might be that the Lord puts on your heart. How can any of us come to that point of, it's not important to me. It's not a priority with me. And again, I pray that you would give as the Lord leads you and freely. I don't see who gives in this church. That's between you and the Lord, and I don't see those records. I do see the final numbers, and then we take it to the Lord how we're going to be as good a steward as we can. 
and maintaining this facility that the Lord has given to us. To be able to, to do the radio program that is reaching so many people. To be able to minister in so many other ways. To be able to, to, to invest in the kingdom of God ourselves. And I pray that, that we would just be ones that we say, Lord, I just want to partner with you in what you want to do and how you want to work through Calvary Chapel. And you can be a part of God's work. Uh, I've always said this, and, and uh, I had a guy I ministered with, he would always say this, that invest in the kingdom of God because the rewards, uh, the returns are out of this world. And it's true, isn't it? And you see, everything in this world is going to pass away. Only what we did for Christ is really going to last. And we have opportunity all of us, to invest in the kingdom of God. What a wonderful investment. And the world needs us to be able to partner with the Lord in what he wants to do so we can be light to the world and and bring truth in the gospel. Well, we see that what did they do with it? Well, we read in verse 12, the king and Jehoiada give it to those who worked in the service of the house of the Lord, and they hired masons and carpenters to repair the house of the Lord, and also those who worked in iron and bronze to restore the house of the Lord. So the workmen labored, and the work was completed by them, and they restored the house of God to its original condition and reinforced it. And when they had finished, they brought the rest of the money before the king and Jehoiada, and they made it articles for the house of the Lord, articles for serving it offering spoons and vessels of gold and silver, and they offered burnt offerings in the house of the Lord continually all the days of Jehoiada. So we see that the temple was repaired and restored and refurbished, and the people had a heart to give, to invest in the house of the Lord. And then quickly as we finish here, just a couple more minutes, but Jehoiada grew old and he was full of days and he died, and he was 130 years old when he died. And they buried him in the city of David among the kings because he had done good in Israel both towards God and his house. And after the death of Jehoiada, the leaders of Judah came and bowed down to the king. And the king listened to them. And therefore they left the house of the Lord God of their fathers and served wooden images and idols. And wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem because of their trespass. Yet he sent prophets to them to bring them back to the Lord. And they testified against them, but they would not listen. In verse 20, the Spirit of God came upon Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada, the priest who stood above the people, and said to them, Thus says God, Why do you transgress the commandments of the Lord so that you cannot prosper? Because you have forsaken the Lord, he has also forsaken you. So they conspired against him at the command of the king. They stoned him with stones in the court of the house of the Lord. And Jehoash and the king did not remember the kindness which Jehoiada, the father, had done to him. They killed his sons as he died. And he said, the Lord, look on it and repay. And then as you finish the last few verses, the death of Joash, and we see that judgment would come against Joash. It was a small army from Syria that would come against this large army against Judah, but Judah was defeated, and they end up executing Joash. He died in a very unfortunate way. I want to end with this, all right? Here is Joash, who did right in the sight of God, But Jehoiada dies, and all of a sudden he begins to give himself um, to evil. He's influenced by evil. He, He began to listen to ungodly counsel. He allowed false worship. There is a time where we, and there is a time when our children need to make their faith their own. They need to make it their own. 
Paul the Apostle, when he was writing to the Corinthian believers, he would say to them, examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. And you see, one of the things, parents, that we can do in helping our kids is talk to them as they get older that you're going to have to make your faith your own. You need to touch their hearts and deal with their hearts because you can't just rely on mom and dad's faith. And that is true for all of us. We can't rely on our spouse's faith. You can't rely on the pastor's faith. You need to make it your own. And if it's not your own, you're going to be given over to deception and you're going to be given over to ungodly counsel. We need to make our faith our own and talk to our children about that. That, you know what, I'm going to do everything that I can to raise you in the house of the Lord to make our home a sanctuary, to where you are growing in the Word of God. But here's the thing. There's going to come a time where you're going to have to make that decision for yourself. And don't be afraid to talk to your kids about that, parents. And we ourselves, that we need to realize that we can't rely on my wife's faith, so I'll just tag along and go to church and I'm a Christian. It doesn't work that way. Where's your faith? Because all of us will stand before the Lord and give an account of our own lives. And your spouse is not going to be there to say he's with me. Or your parents. Or whoever it might be, the pastor. Oh, he was a member of my church. It's okay. But where is your faith? Examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. And I know that you are. Most of you are that are here. But if you're here tonight and you've never made it your own, we want to go to the Lord right now. And so, Father, we just we thank you for these important reminders that are given to us in your word. And, Lord, how important it is to minister to our kids as we see once again. Lord, to, to have the, the testimony that is the word of God in our hearts. And, Lord, to, to learn it. But, Lord... What I pray is that all of us that are here, that we are in the faith, that as we put our faith and trust in Jesus. But I want to pray if there is anybody that is here or out in the coffee shop, that maybe as you just are honest, in the honest evaluation of your heart, you said, you know, I've never really, it's always been my parents or I grew up or I got drugged to church. Maybe you're here and really, you never made a commitment, a firm commitment in your heart concerning Jesus Christ. You don't know what would really happen if you were to die, if, if tomorrow wasn't given to you or um, it was your last day. Are you in the faith? Have you really surrendered to Jesus? And now's the time to do that. Today is the day of salvation for you to come and to make it your own. Not to play games, not to think church is going to save you. It isn't going to save you. The pastor, your spouse, whoever it might be, it's you. And it's you opening your heart to the Lord and recognizing your need to be forgiven because you're a sinner. And that Jesus died for you on the cross of Calvary and he was put into a grave and he rose again. And he loves you so much. He wants to save you and forgive you. And he's knocking on the door of your heart. Don't wait. Don't delay. 
but come to Jesus and call upon his name and open up your heart to him and make it your own. Come in faith and trusting in him. And it is by faith through grace that you're saved, that you are justified. You pray right where you are, if that means anything to anybody here tonight, that Jesus, I come. And I just want to come and express my belief and trust in you right now. I confess I am a sinner, and I believe you died for my sins. Forgive me. And I believe you arose again from the grave, and you're alive, and I open my heart to you right now. Be my personal Lord and Savior, my Lord and Savior. Not my parents, not the pastor, not my spouse, but mine. And thank you for hearing my prayer. Help me to live for you all the days of my life. And if you prayed that prayer, will you come up and talk to me and pray with me after the service? But for all of us, may we just continue with you, Lord. And Lord, may we continue to grow in faith. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Lord, I pray that you would help us and anyone going through dark times right now that they would know as illustrated here in your word that your word is true you have a plan and you see and you hear and you'll never leave us or forsake us that you will stand by us and we will see your faithfulness take everybody home safely tonight And it's in Jesus' name that we pray and all of God's people said.